Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear is a very special one for me, hitting on one of the major issues we as Christians need to consider. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul explained why he worked so hard to teach others. He wanted to do all he could to win more. This lesson examines five keys we need to learn if we're going to win more souls like Paul did. So, open your Bible and get ready to learn about winning more. I've been thinking a lot about the past five years. If you, you remember a couple of weeks ago, I pointed out that September 1st was when we moved here in 2003. So, we've been here for about five years. And so, I, I've been thinking a lot about what's happened over the last five years and, and where we've gone as a congregation. And I think we've made a lot of great strides in a lot of areas. I think we're, we're doctrinally better and stronger. I think that uh, I think we deal with with guests a lot better. I think we we show our love to one another a lot better, and we've always been good at that. But I think we've even gotten better at that. I think uh, when brothers and sisters are in need, we step up to the plate and have just gotten better at, at sacrificing and helping others. And there's just so many things. Our Bible classes, I think, are better. Our singing over the past five years has improved. I think we're doing better at uh, what we do as a congregation in prayer. I think that's improved so so well. And our worship services, our assemblies, I think, and with the big changes we've made, I think they're more focused, and I think they're better. That's, that's my opinion. Now, we've just done a lot of good things over the last five years. And yet, as I look at that, as with everything, there's always places where we need to improve. And, and there's, there's one, one major area that really concerns me. And the reason it concerns me is because it, it has to do with the purpose for which Jesus came to the world and the purpose for which he's left us behind. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible says that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came to the world. This is one of the main reasons Jesus established his church, so that we could be behind as his body on the earth to continue that mission of seeking and saving the lost, to take that message of the blessed gospel that saves people from their sins sets them free from their sins, and allows them an eternity in heaven. That's why Jesus came, and that's what he's left us behind to do, to seek and save the lost. And that concerns me, because in a moment of rigorous honesty, I have to admit that over the last five years, other than children who have been brought up by parents within this congregation, we've only baptized four people. Uh, now, if you get the outline, it says three, but last night I remembered another one, and that, that was really important because that's a 25% increase as far as I'm concerned. Sadly, however, she fell away almost immediately, and if, he, if you even got to meet her, it was only one Wednesday night that she came, and then after that we never saw her again and had to withdraw from her. It was a very sad deal. But, but we baptized four people. Now, I'm not trying to discount the baptisms of children brought up because that's very important. That's extremely important. That baptism counts just as much as others. But what I recognize on that is that that doesn't necessarily represent a work of evangelism necessarily for, for me or from the congregation. That demonstrates that parents have been doing their job. And I want to commend you for parents working within your families. But, but I'm really concerned about what's happened over these past five years. And I want to say, as we start off, that I take absolute full responsibility for where we've been on that over five years. Now, it's not my job as the evangelist to do all the evangelizing. It's not my job to do your evangelizing. However, 
It is my job to evangelize, and it is my job to establish the example of that work, and it is my job to equip the saints to do the work of ministry and as an evangelist, especially in that area of evangelism. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And as I look back over the past five years, I think I've done some things pretty well. But this one thing I think that I've fallen short on, and I want to apologize to you for that. And I just want to share with you somewhat why that's happened and just kind of express to you one of the weaknesses that I have. If you were to ask me, Evan, what are you strong at? I want some of the things I think. I think I'm strong at preaching sermons. I think you know, you may, I may not be stronger than, than somebody else, but as far as my strengths, that's one of them uh, for what I can do well. I, I think I do pretty good at teaching a Bible class. Once I actually get into a study with somebody, I think I do relatively well with that. But what I'm not very good at is just developing relationships, just being able to walk up to somebody and introduce myself and say hi and start a conversation. And then once that relationship is developed, to be able to just take whatever happens and turn it to something spiritual so that we can open up the door to spiritual conversation. I've preached on that. I know that's what we need to do. But just to be honest with you, I know I'm not very good at it. I can remember all the way back, uh, one of my earliest memories of this, I was in fourth grade. We had just moved to Abilene, Texas. And in Abilene, Texas, uh, Dias Air Force Base, my dad had been stationed there. We got there in the summer, and I, I was bored all summer long. And my mom and dad constantly said, well, go out and meet some. I mean, kids are playing all over the neighborhood. They go, oh, there's some, go, go meet them. There's some over there, go meet them. There's some over there, go meet them. And uh, I, listen, I don't even know how long it was before I finally went and introduced myself to some, to, to some kid in the neighborhood. I, I was bored. I was lonely. I was isolated. But at least if I didn't go try to talk to them, I wasn't rejected. And so that was the key. Every time I had this idea of, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off, I'm going I'm to introduce myself, and maybe we'll be friends, there was a part of me that started to shut down in fear that, yeah, but what if they don't like me? I mean, that's a real possibility that people won't like me. And so, you know, I, there's that fear. I mean, I remember that as, as, as if it was yesterday, and that was all the way back in the fourth grade, and that's, that's something that I've just struggled with all my life. And because of that, it makes it hard for me to develop new relationships. And I recognize that some people see that and think that that means I'm just cliquish and arrogant. That, that's really not the case. The, the problem is, is that if, if a relationship picks up quickly, I have a tendency to latch onto it because it's really hard for me to go out and just develop new relationships with people. Now, somebody walks into our assemblies, I'm pretty good at just introducing myself, and if they keep coming back, I can go ahead and see if they want to have a Bible study. Now, the, the last work I was in, we had guests all the time. I was covered up with studies all the time. Just because I can do that. Uh, but, but we don't seem to have that very much. And so the problem is, what happened is, I allowed myself to get in a rut, just hoping constantly that next Sunday will be the Sunday we'll start getting more guests. And that just hasn't happened. And so what I've begun to recognize is, man, you know what? It's not my job to wait for folks to come into the assembly so that we can ask them if they want to study. It's my job to be out evangelizing and doing the work. And, and while I was thinking about all of this, while I was thinking about all of this, I came across a passage that I've read numerous times. And I guess it just struck me because of what's going on in my mind and, and me trying to evaluate my work and what I've done well and what I haven't done well and what we've done well and what we haven't done well. And I just thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul here is talking about spreading the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, he provides a 
some great encouragement for us as we work together to try to bring folks into the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. What a great passage that we need to recognize the encouragement that Paul is giving here and some, some steps and some keys and some ideas and principles that we need to push down into our hearts and bring to the forefront of our minds so that we will be out there evangelizing and getting that gospel out to the folks who need it so that others can be brought into the family of God. That's what I want us to talk about today. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are so humbled that you let us be a part of your plan. We're so humbled that despite how much we've sinned and how many times we've rebelled against you and spit in your face with our sins and our, our own desires and following our own passions and wants, that you've still extended a hand of mercy and fellowship to us that we can be a part of your plan, that we can draw people into your family, that we can help others submit to you so that their sins can be forgiven. Father, we pray that you would strengthen each of us within this room and also the members of our congregation who couldn't be here today. Help us to have our hearts on fire so that we will grow and bear fruit in our lives and so that we can reach out and touch others and help them develop fruit in their lives so that you may be glorified. Father, forgive, forgive us for being distracted as we so often are and help us to be on fire. Just as we've been studying in our adult class and auditorium about Zerubbabel and Jeshua as Haggai and Zechariah preached your word to them so that they're hearts were stirred up and they rebuilt that temple. We pray that you would strengthen us, that we would set aside our distractions and our discouragements, that we would step out of our comfort zone, that we would sacrifice for you and for those around us, that they might be saved, that we might be saved. Help us all, Father, to glorify you in every aspect of our lives, that by all means we might save some. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your patience and we thank you for your son who died for us. Thank you for loving us. It's through your son we pray. Amen. Five things I'd like for us to notice from this passage that help me. And I hope that there'll be things that'll help you as, it, as, as you consider evangelism and talking to neighbors and friends, <coughs> excuse me, co-workers and classmates. The very first thing is if we want to be a worker like Paul was a worker, if we want to share the gospel like Paul shared the gospel, if we want to get that evangelism out, if we want to be able to get beyond whatever it is that, that's holding us in, the first thing we have to do is we've got to see the gospel as good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 23, Paul said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Gospel has become kind of a specialized word for us. When we hear gospel, we don't necessarily hear what that word means. We just hear, oh, what the Bible says. We hear, oh, I'm supposed to obey the gospel. We've heard that phrase for a long time here. And so we hear gospel, and, it, and maybe that word, because we've used it in such a special way, We've forgotten exactly what that word means. But gospel translates the Greek word euangelion. And what that word literally means is good news. 
You see, when the Greeks first read this, when the, when the Romans and those who spoke the Greek language first read this book, they didn't hear a special word that had been subjugated to some religious topic that said, just here's what God said, we'll call it the gospel. They heard in here, I do it all for the sake of the good news. If we want to be out spreading this gospel, we've got to remember that it is good news. Let me ask you, what do you do when you have good news? I remember weeks ago when Wanda Barnes walked into our building with an ultrasound of two babies. What'd she do? Now she showed everybody. Why? Because it's good news. Or last week, when Carla Walker was, was back from Colorado, she had a whole thick book of pictures. What'd she do? She stopped people. Hey, you need to look at it. Hey, you need to see this. Why? Because it's good news. When we see something as good news and when we have it indelibly imprinted in our hearts that this is good news that excites us, it makes us happy, and, and we can't do anything but share it with people. And what we need to do is recognize that this gospel message is in fact good news. And when we get that in our hearts, sharing it will become so much easier. I think the problem is, sadly, sometimes we don't view the gospel as good news. We fear that the gospel is bad news that nobody will want to hear. We're afraid that it's going to be bad news because there are restrictions and limitations. Let's face it, the gospel says there are things that we shouldn't do. And so we hone in all that and think that it's bad news and think that people will hear it as bad news and they won't see it as freedom in Christ. And so we're afraid to share it with them. We need to remember what it says in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, Paul wrote, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, in verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. Excuse me, but verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, I recognize there is a slavery in Christ. We are enslaved to obedience and to righteousness. But, but if we're not enslaved to that, we're enslaved to sin. And what do we get from that? Guilt, shame, and death. That's it. We need to be able to see the gospel as the good news that proclaims freedom from sin, that proclaims freedom from Satan. We need to recognize that all of the rules there are not in place because God's trying to see if we can measure up. Those rules are there because that way works. Because God is sharing with us the things that will get us to life. It's the good news. There's no other way to life. We need to remember that good news. And as we consider the gospel, we, we need to get that in our heart. We've got good news for people. 
Are we just holding it in here? Or are we getting that good news out? Are we hoping that someday they might show up and then we can give them the good news? Or are we telling them the good news? Listen, when we've got good news and when we know it's good news and when we believe it's good news, we share it. If we want to do what Paul did, if we want to get that gospel out, we've got to remember that gospel is good news. And as the ESV says, uh, a few of the translations translate it this way, sharing in its blessings. We need to recognize that it is a blessing to be a part of the gospel. And try to get others to have that blessing as well. The second thing that I recognize is that we must see lost people as lost. I can't help but notice some of the words that Paul used throughout this passage, beginning at verse 19 where he says, that I might win the more. I became as a Jew to win Jews, to those as under the law, that I might win those under the law, to those as outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things all people, that I might by all means save some. He saw that there were souls that needed winning. There were souls that needed saving. Because when he looked at those souls, he saw them as lost and dying. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3 demonstrates what Paul saw when he looked out at folks who remained in the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul wrote, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We need to see, folks, not as just some spectrum of, of how good they are as man judges but, judges, but recognize that if they're not in Christ, they're still following the passions of their body and mind. They're still living by nature as children of wrath. They're following after the prince of the power of the air. They're lost and they need saving. We have the life preserver that we can toss out to them. They're drowning in their sins. The question is, do we see them? That's what Paul understood. Paul saw himself as, as in the ship of safety. And there were folks who were drowning around him and he had that life preserver that he could toss to them and bring them to safety. What good would it have done Paul, though, if he had been on that ship and he'd just been admiring the clouds and the, and the stars and, and just talking to other folks that were on the ship and never looking over and recognizing who was still down in the water? We've got to be able to see lost people as lost. That they're drowning in the bad news of their sins and we've got the good news that will save them. I think one of the greatest illustrations of this contrast is in John 4, and I know I've shared it with you before, but, but think about it again. As Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well, His apostles have gone into the city of Sychar to bring food. They go into the city, they conduct their business, they come out of the city, and they're there with Jesus. The woman talks with Jesus, she goes into the city, she comes out with most of the town. Now, what was the difference there? Well, the difference is when the apostles went into the city of Sychar, they didn't look around and see people that needed to meet Jesus. They saw a place where they needed to buy some food. And so that's what they did. They conducted their business. And it's like they had tunnel vision. I'm on my way conducting my business. And I know I, I have that problem big time. I, I really do. I, you know, I, get, I get caught up and I've got to get this goal done. I've, I mean, and it happens all the time, not just about evangelism. I mean, I was walking in here this morning, and I was thinking about, I don't even remember what I was thinking about, and kind of off in the distance, I hear somebody say, Hey, Edwin, 
and uh, I realized that Hurt Norris is standing right beside me, and I just ignored him for, I don't know, 30 seconds standing there. You know, because I've got tunnel vision. You know, that's what was happening with the apostles. They had tunnel vision. They were thinking, oh, we've got to get this food. We've got to get back out there. Jesus is hungry. The Samaritan woman, however, she went into the town, and she saw a whole bunch of people that needed to meet this guy out by the well. Same guy was out at the well for the apostles. Same people were in the town for the apostles. It just depended on how they looked at it. We've got to be looking around and seeing lost people. We've got to be seeing people who need to meet Jesus. And remember that we know it. And so we can introduce them. We've got to see lost people as lost. What do you see when you look around at the folks? You just, you just see a checkout clerk? A bank teller? Somebody to conduct business with? Friends that you watch football with? Classmates that you study with? Workers that you accomplish goals with? Or do, do you see people that are annoyances, that just kind of get in the way? You know, I could get something done if it weren't for all these people around me. Or do you see folks that are lost and dying and going to hell? Who need the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can go to heaven? What do we see there? If we can see the gospel as good news and see lost people as lost, we'll go a long way to getting that message to them. The third thing we need to see is ourselves as servants to the lost. That's something that stood out to me in this text. In verse 19, in fact, the entire context of this, Paul is talking about his liberties and how he would give up his liberties in order to save some. And he brings it down to this talk of evangelism. And he says in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. We've got to see ourselves as servants to the lost people that are around us. They're the master, they have needs, and we've got what it is they need. And, and our job is to serve them by getting it to them. Now what Paul is saying here is he's talking about being a servant. He's talking about sacrifice. Because that's what a servant does. A servant sacrifices his own free will. The servant sacrifices his own desires and his own goals in order to accomplish the needs of the master. And that's what Paul is saying he did. He gave up things. He sacrificed things because he saw that he was a servant for those who were lost. So he gave up some of his freedoms. And that's one of the things we're just going to have to come to grips with. If we're going to be saving the gospel, it's going to take sacrifice because when we're doing that, we've now become servants. It's going to take a sacrifice of time. The fact is, you, you can't be involved in evangelism without it taking time. And we're busy people. We've got all kinds of things to do. We've got all kinds of goals to accomplish. All kinds of work that we, that we want to do. All kinds of things we, in which we want to be involved. We're going to have to sacrifice some time if we're going to be evangelizing and teaching people the gospel. You know, sacrificing that time means that there's going to be some things that we may have wanted to do that we just don't do because we realize that saving folks by the gospel is more important. Some, some of our favorite TV shows, we may just not get to watch them because we need to be spending that night out studying with somebody or knocking doors or, or, or just trying to talk with people. Maybe some organizations that we want to be a part of that, that are good things. We just recognize I just can't be doing that because... That just takes away too much time, and I, I can't be involved in it. 
You know, the reality is we make the time to do what we want. We take the time to be involved in work. We take the time to be involved in sports. We take the time to watch sports. Watch TV, read books. Do we take the time to evangelize? When we become a servant to all, not only will it be a sacrifice of time, but it's probably going to be a sacrifice of money. I mean, the fact is, we're going to be taking some evenings that we could have been working that second job to get some extra money to pay some extra on bills, and we're going to be using that instead of studying with people. Man, with today's gas prices, just knowing that we have to drive to somebody's house could be a sacrifice of funds as we become a servant to all. It's going to be a sacrifice of libertines and freedoms. In fact, that drives home to the to the great point that Paul was actually making in this text. He's talking about sacrificing his liberty. He was saying, you know what? If there's somebody that would be offended by me eating meat, it would offend their conscience and cause them to stumble, I'll give it up. I can't imagine saying, you know what, I'm just not going to eat sausage pizza so that somebody could, could accept the gospel instead of being caused to stumble by me. But that's what Paul was saying. He said, listen, I, I'll give that up. Anything that would cause them to stumble... You want to you want to hear a great example of this? Acts 16 and verse 3. Talk about sacrificing your liberties, sacrificing your freedoms, becoming a servant to all that you might win some. In Acts 16 and verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places where they all knew that his father was a Greek. That's sacrifice. That's becoming a servant. That's recognizing if I don't do this, I might cause a stumbling block. They won't listen, and so I'm going I'm to do this. That's what Timothy sacrificed. You think we might sometimes be able to sacrifice Monday night football? You think sometimes we might be able to sacrifice Star Trek or Star Wars or, or Heroes or 24 or whatever show it is? That you think we might be able to sacrifice that sometimes? A servant to all. We've got to see ourselves as servants to the lost people in our community. It's not just us and them. It's not just they're out there, we're in here. Boy, we wish we could get them in here. No, oh no. We're servants to them. That's that's what it's all about. Serving them so that we might win them. The fourth thing I recognize is that we've got to get out of our comfort zone. As we sacrifice and serve it's going to come down to an emotional sacrifice as well as we have to get out of our comfort zone. I can't help but notice. Think about this. Paul was raised as a Jew among the strictest of the Jews, a Pharisee who was absolutely intent on on keeping every little nook and cranny of the law, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, getting it all exactly right. And then I come to this verse in 21. This is still 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. When we get down to brass tacks and what that meant practically, do you realize that what that meant is there was, there was one day when Paul, for the first time, went into the home of a Gentile in order to try to teach them the gospel, and as they sat down to eat, there was some sausage laying on the table. Or bacon. Or ham. Pork. Now, how do you think that made him feel? Now, he understood. 
He had recognized. God had revealed to him, and he had knowledge. But, but all that knowledge is not going to take away 30 to 40 years of having been told, don't eat that, don't eat that. It's disgusting. It's unclean. And there it is. He probably could smell the grease as he walked into the house. Think that was very comfortable for him? That first time that he walked into a Gentile's house, the customs that they had that were different. You see, for Paul to go to those who were outside the law, that was getting out of his comfort zone. That was being a sacrifice. That was becoming a servant to all. If we're going to be a servant to all and sacrifice, we're going to have to learn to get out of our comfort zone. I know what that means for me. What that means for me is I have to quit waiting for folks to show up at our assemblies because somebody's invited them, and then I can invite them to a study. That means I've got to learn how to just start talking to people. You know, I've got to, I've got to realize that these people that I run into at Cracker Barrel and at Walmart, these are all people that I have an opportunity just to talk with. Doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, my first step out of my comfort zone is just going to be just to talk to them. And then after learning how to do that, starting to turn it to something spiritual. That's I'll be honest with you, that's getting outside of my comfort zone. Maybe for you, getting outside of your comfort zone, maybe you're just really good at just talking to people. Maybe your comfort zone is, is taking it to that spiritual step. Maybe your comfort zone, getting out of your comfort zone, means inviting them to the assemblies. Maybe getting out of your comfort zone means walking up to one of our guests in our assemblies. Maybe getting outside of your comfort zone means actually being a part of a Bible study one-on-one. And maybe the first thing you need to do is, is get together with someone who can lead it, and you can go along with them and, and then start doing it on your own. But whatever it is going to be, we're going to have to get outside of our comfort zones. We need to have a sign. A sign that says, comfort zone, no parking. It's not a place to park. It's not a place to sit. It's not a place to rest. If we're going to grow as a congregation, if we're going to grow as individuals, it takes challenge. It takes change from within. Getting outside of that comfort zone to be able to talk to folks about the gospel. That's what Paul did. That's what we need to be doing. The final thing I'd like for you to recognize is, as we just consider what we're seeing here is that we've got to learn to, by all means, strive to save some. By all means. That's what he said at the end of verse 22. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He's wrapping up this paragraph here. And this is what he's talking about. He said, I became a Jew to the Jews as under the law to those under the law, as not under the law to those who are not under the law, to the weak I became as weak. He's, by all means, I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, we need to understand what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean being a chameleon. This doesn't mean being a hypocrite. This doesn't mean acting like you support Obama when you're trying to teach a Democrat and acting like you support McCain when you're trying to preach preach to a Republican. That's not what it means. This doesn't mean that you'll do anything to impress a non-Christian. Because it doesn't mean disobeying the law of God. In fact, notice what Paul specifically pointed out, that he was still under the law of Christ. So it wasn't just, well, I'll do anything to try to impress them so that they'll like me and then maybe I'll start talking to them about the gospel. That wasn't it at all. What he's saying is, is he's doing whatever is permissible under the law of Christ to help make the person he's talking to most comfortable so that they would be likely to listen. This, this meant that if he was in the house of a Jew or if he invited a Jew over to talk to them, he's not going to serve him sausage pizza. But if a Gentile came over, not a problem. That's, that's what he's talking about. But then I can't help but keep honing in on that word, or that phrase, those two words, 
all means, by all means, I might save some. Do you realize what this says about Paul? This says that about Paul, Paul didn't see evangelism as something separate from everything else in his life. Rather, everything in his life had something to do to connect with that. Every person that he met, he was thinking, hey, this is the person I might talk to about the gospel. Every event that he went to, he saw, here's people I might be able to strike up a conversation with and talk to. If he went to the market, it was, I, here's, I might be able to find people to talk to. If he moved into a house, his next door neighbor, here's some people I might be able to talk to. By all means. I know that I've got to start thinking this way. We've got to start thinking this way. That, that when we're out at the restaurant, and the waiter comes up or the waitress, here's somebody we might be able to talk to. It's, here's a contact. When I go to the bank, the teller, here's a contact. When I'm at the store, the person in line in front of me or behind me, here's a possible contact. You know, a few moments ago, we talked about that idea of we'll take time to do sports and we'll take time to do PTA and scouts and, and, and do we take time to evangelize. But you know, if we began to recognize that when I'm in Little League, here's 10 to 15 people whose parents are there around me that are all potential people to talk to about the gospel. And if I recognize I'm not just coming here so Junior can play baseball, but so I can meet people and talk to them. When I go to work, if I begin to recognize I'm not just going to work to make money to feed my family, but look at all these people that are around me that I can, I can show the fruit of the Spirit to, that I can talk to, that we can bring up spiritual conversation. When we begin to recognize that, suddenly we realize that Evangelism is not something to put on our to-do list. It actually kind of governs everything on our to-do list. That by all means, I might save some. The guy that's coming into your house to fix your cable, at the very least, he ought to get invited to our meeting. Don't let him come in and fix your cable and walk out and leave. By all means, We've got to start seeing everything we do as something that's connected to evangelism. Now, do not misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that every conversation we have should have some manipulative goal where we're just trying to finally get around to make the spiritual statement or offer the invitation. That is, is weak. It's shallow. It's not going to get anybody. It's not going to help anybody because they'll be able to see that it's not out of genuine concern. It's just out of a technique to try to get somebody to come to church with you. But when we care about people and view ourselves as servants and then start viewing it all as all means by which we might be able to save some, that'll start making a difference. This is, this is what Paul recognized. He understood that the gospel was good news. He saw lost people as lost. He viewed himself as a servant to the lost people. He got outside of his comfort zone and he viewed all means to try to save some. That's, that's where he worked. That's what we need to do tell you what, I'll help you with that if you'll help me. Can we work on that? Say, say it again, David, because I don't think they heard you. Thank you. All right. That's, that's one of those points where I, you know, I kind of want all of them in to say, amen, all of you who feel comfortable with it. Uh, so we'll, we'll try that again. You all ready? I'll help you with that if you'll help me. Can we do that? That's a little better. Thank you. All right. That's, that's what we're here for, to help each other do that. We're here to help each other. I want you to think about this. I looked up some numbers. If the mortality rates continue as they have been over the past couple of years, between Williamson, David, Davidson, and Murray counties, I think that's where our members come from. I may have missed one, but in those counties, 7,000 people are going to die this year. 
And those 7,000 people, we will never get another opportunity to talk to about the gospel. And what that means is, over the last five years, 35,000 people in Davidson, Williamson, and Murray County no longer have opportunity to hear the gospel. In another five years, it's going to be another 35,000. We've got to be working on this. I know not everybody's going to believe, but some will. And, and I guess I can't help but think about this this week because we've got our gospel meeting coming up next week, beginning on Sunday with Philip Shoemaker from Lexington, talking about being zealous for good deeds. And that's kicking off our fall focus for the entire month of October. What an awesome opportunity. We've got tools that you can use out there. If, you're, if it's not comfortable for you to talk to people, we've got things that you can give them and just tell them, hey, I just wanted to let you have this. And, and, and kind of let the tool do its work. We've got an opportunity this afternoon at 3 o'clock. I'm going to be here, and whoever wants to go, we're going to just start knocking doors and handing out these card packs to, to let folks know. And if they show up and do it with us, or if they do it on their own at home, that's fine, but we're at least going to get out there. You know, sometimes I fear, we, we hear ideas, and I'm just going to say this now so that nobody will say it to me on the way out. Every time an idea comes up, there's always somebody who says, oh, that won't work. That won't work. That won't work. And sometimes I fear that when we say that won't work, what we really mean is, I don't want to work. You know, the reality is we're not trying to find something that works. We just need to be working. And that's the key. Maybe we'll go out this afternoon and knock 500 doors, and it won't work. Maybe nobody will show up, but at least we were working. You see the point there? And, maybe, you know, I'm not saying all of you have to knock doors. I didn't do this whole lesson just so you come knocking doors with me, but so that we'll do something. So that we'll do something, because we need to be working. Because I'll tell you what I'm convinced of. That when we work, God works through us. And that's when people get saved. When we constantly come up with reasons why not to work, well, that doesn't work. So let's get to work. I hope that was beneficial to you and edifying. Most of all, I hope it glorified God. Let's remember what we've learned. If we are going to win more, we must see the gospel as good news. We must see lost people as lost. We must see ourselves as servants to the lost. We must get outside of our comfort zones. And we must, by all means, win more. If you have any questions about this lesson or any other spiritual issue, or if you have a spiritual need or prayer request, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you're ever in Middle Tennessee, we would love to meet you face-to-face. -face. We meet for Bible classes on Sunday at 9 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. We have our congregational assembly on Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find directions to our meeting location on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.